0: Hello and welcome to Talking Opinions, I am your host, Anthony Livingston Hall. Myanmar's coup leaders are doing a pretty convincing job of showing that, like their Chinese patrons, they will not be toppled by pro-democracy protesters, but these protesters clearly hope to emulate Not those who were infamously slaughtered in China in 1989 but those who were famously triumphant in the Philippines in 1986. The former saw Chinese tanks squash the living daylights out of pro-democracy protesters in Tiananmen Square, but the latter saw millions of Filipinos amass revolutionary power that forced their brutal dictator, Ferdinand Marcos, to flee. No doubt you recall that Myanmar erupted in mass protests on February 1, after the military arrested democracy icon Aung San Suu Kyi and other leaders of her political party. The military was hell-bent on preventing them from assuming the power they won by a landslide in general elections last November. And yes, the similarities to another infamous attempt to prevent the peaceful transfer of governing power are uncanny. But after a few weeks of showing surprising restraint, the military began breaking up those protests with deadly force. As a result, soldiers have killed more than 50 protesters arrested nearly 2,000, and wounded thousands more. Ominously, though, protesters seem as determined to continue taking to the streets as the military seems to continue dispersing them by any means necessary. And I fear the body count will continue to rise accordingly. The proverbial elephant in the room, of course, is that the military is only doing in Myanmar what former President Trump tried to get the military to do here, in the United States. We all now know that, when his generals disobeyed his order to stage a coup, Trump incited his supporters to stage an insurrection, and the rest is the kind of history now playing out in Myanmar. In other words, Trump set an untenable precedent for sore losers of democratic elections to follow. Even worse, he so undermined America's moral authority on the world stage that Myanmar's generals can fairly argue that their coup is no worse than what America's commander-in-chief just tried to do. Not to mention the spectre of allies fearing, and enemies hoping, that America could relapse in four years by electing a Trump wannabe as president, if not by re-electing Trump himself, a prospect he gleefully teased during his first post-presidency campaign speech two weeks ago. But I should pause here to reflect on the two primary reasons why Trump is now the only twice-impeached president in U.S. history because they explain why allies are fearing and enemies are hoping. The first is that he was caught on tape sounding like a tin-pot dictator as he tried in vain to extort the president of Ukraine for dirt on his political opponent, Joe Biden. The second I alluded to earlier is that he incited his MAGA mob to storm the U.S. Capitol in a vain attempt to prevent Congress from formally counting the votes of the Electoral College, which certified Biden as the duly elected 46th President of the United States. Indeed. The latter is most apropos, because Myanmar's military generals aped Trump not only by parroting his canard about election fraud, but also by waiting until the country's parliament was convening to ratify Suchi's landslide victory to strike. Meanwhile, it's a sure sign of a return to the normal world order, even if not to normalcy, that President Biden is leading Western governments in condemning this coup. But Myanmar's military generals are hardly quaking in their boots, not least because they have a history of withstanding such protests that must impress even the leaders of North Korea and Cuba. But I wish Biden had the presence of mind to condemn their actions without threatening dire consequences, because everybody knows that his sanctions will have no greater impact on these generals than the sanctions 11 consecutive US Presidents imposed had on Comandante Fidel Castro for the coup he mounted in 1959. Mind you, Myanmar's military generals could also scoff at the hypocrisy of America blessing a military coup in Pakistan in 1999, but cursing this very similar coup in Myanmar today. Indeed, I even began mocking the general who headed the former in commentaries like, Day of Reckoning for America's Most Favored Dictator, General Pervez Musharraf of Pakistan, on August 24. 2007. On the other hand, China and Russia are remaining typically mum, knowing full well that silence means approval in this context. But no matter their flirtations with Suu democratic government, she had no reason to harbour any illusions about the leader of either country, defending her against a military coup. After all, China and Russia have shown time and again that they have far greater affinity for and common cause with military dictatorships than democratic governments, and it hardly matters that those democratic governments behave at times like military dictatorships. Apropos of which, this coup became inevitable After Su Chi showed the military generals that she could be used, she has simply outlived her usefulness. Truth be told, she got into bed with military dogs and is now waking up, not only with fleas, but in jail, presumably tamed to remain for the rest of her life. As it happens, I was in the vanguard of those who warned it would be thus, but nothing animated my disillusionment and dismay, quite like watching former President Barack Obama on a pilgrimage to meet Su Chi. His advisers were spinning it as a meeting of two Nobel Peace laureates. This, even though Obama had already admitted that he had done nothing to deserve his prize, and Suu Kyi had already compromised her democratic principles in ways that made a mockery of hers. He was never the peacemaker, and she was never the democracy icon they were hyped to be, respectively. This is why I was not surprised two years ago when Ben Rhodes, the most high profile of those advisers, finally ate his words. I duly commented, in Obama Advisor, finally sees what was always true about Myanmar's Aung San Suu Kyi on August 14, 2019. For the record, though, in November 2012, Barack Obama became the first U.S. president to visit Myanmar. More to the point, he became the first world leader to make a pilgrimage to Su Kyi's home. That home, of course, is where she spent 15 years under house arrest. This is why Obama visited there with the same reverence with which he visited the prison on Robben Island, where Nelson Mandela spent 27 years doing hard labor. Yet nobody seemed prouder than Rhodes, then Obama's National Security adviser. He could barely contain himself, as he provided behind-the-scenes commentary in real time. Most notably, he justified this extraordinary pilgrimage by hailing Suu Kyi as the country's best hope to, and I quote, move out of the path of authoritarianism and onto the path of democracy. And quote. But that was then, because by 2019, Rhodes had finally completed his seven-year conversion. The title to a book-length testimony of his awakening in the August 9, 2019 edition of The Atlantic spoke volumes. It was titled, What Happened to Aung San Suu Kyi? A Human Rights Icons Fall from Grace. Rhodes explained how he was shocked, shocked that Su Chi turned out to be more interested in gaining power than in championing democracy, this despite the glaring clue she gave by abruptly forsaking her husband and young children to do so. Anyway, he summed up his disillusionment by recalling, wishfully as much as wistfully, that when Suu met Obama in November 2012 she embodied hope no doubt alluding to the very hope Obama channeled to the White House four years earlier Rhodes also recalled the great expectations that after surviving years of house arrest Suu would lead her country through the trauma of military dictatorship and into a future of democracy but that instead she joined the government in curtailing civil liberties, stifling political freedoms, and carrying out what some UN officials called ethnic cleansing. What went wrong? he asked in rhetorical dismay. But to Rhodes, I say, ask not what went wrong with Su Kyi ask what went wrong with you that you could not see? An elusive challenge, incidentally, that pertains doubly so to Obama. After all, even I could see what went wrong with Su Chi. <laughs> in fact, I wrote scores of commentaries in real time as she was falling from grace. I hasten to note, however, that I did so not out of interest in the celebrated Su Kyi, but out of concern for the oppressed Rohingya people she steadfastly refused to help. I often find that just listing the titles to commentaries speaks volumes, <laughs> but fear not, I shan't list the 40-plus available in this context. Instead, I have chosen titles to just eight. And they are 1. Myanmar, One Small Step for Democracy, One Giant Leap for Aung San Suu Kyi, on April 2, 2012. 2. Aung San Suu Kyi Becoming Democratic Mascot for Myanmar's Military Dictatorship, on March 28, 2013. 3. Nobel laureate Suu Kyi, courting totalitarian power at the expense of democratic principles on September 14, 2015. 4. Suu Kyi, Myanmar's Mandela, is a religious bigot who condones ethnic cleansing on March 30, 2016. 5. Aung San Suu Kyi, lording over Myanmar's crimes against humanity on March 10, 2017. 6. Even fellow Nobel laureates now condemning Myanmar's Suu Kyi, the godmother of ethnic cleansing, on September 14, 2017. 7. Rock stars Geldof and Bono Damn Myanmar's Suu Chi as handmaiden to genocide, on November 15, 2017. 8. UN Report Aung San Suu Kyi, Nobel Peace Laureate, is complicit in genocide, on August 28, 2018. Even after sharing those, I am driven by the spirit of T.S. Eliot to arrive where I started, because I feel obliged not only to list the title to Obama's Historic Trip to Myanmar too soon, on November 20, 2012, but also to share an excerpt. It is remarkably prescient, even if I do say so myself, (laughs) and so with your indulgence and as an ode to Rhodes, here goes international human rights groups are criticizing obama for conferring legitimacy on myanmar's oppressive regime most notably because it is perpetrating the kind of ethnic cleansing of minorities namely the rohingya muslims that provoked the United States to bomb Bosnia in 1995 to stop Serbs from ethnically cleansing Muslims. Releasing Suchi from 15 years of house arrest in 2010 is the only meaningful step President Sein has taken towards democracy, but he has since co-opted this former democracy icon into his political establishment as leader of the loyal i.e. powerless, opposition in Parliament. Nothing demonstrates the extent to which he has done so, quite like Suu Kyi's deafening silence while majority Buddhists continue their ethnic cleansing of minority Muslims. This, even in the face of the UN designating Myanmar's Muslims as the world's most persecuted people. Yet, whenever challenged to explain her silence, The Buddhist Suchi demurs, saying self-righteously that she is not taking sides to preserve her impartiality as repairer of the breach. But just imagine how much worse the religious cleansing of minority Muslims by majority Hindus in India would have been if the Hindu Gandhi had not been so vocal in condemning it. I warned, that her personal and political liberation would do little to facilitate democratic reform. Yet, to read some accounts, you would have thought Su chi being elected to parliament in Myanmar was every bit as significant as Mandela being elected president in South Africa. Put in a way that might be more relatable, despite Su chi's celebrated participation, it was clear that elections would prove no more a harbinger of democratic change in Myanmar than they have ever been in Cuba. And that ends the excerpt. Again, I wrote that in November 2012, nearly seven years before Rhodes peddled what he would have you believe were shocking revelations about Su Chi in August 2019. The point is that, even before their fateful trip in 2012, it was clear for all the world to see that Suu Chi was no Gandhi or Mandela. The simple fact is that Rhodes and others hoped this trip would be a legacy achievement for Obama, but if nothing else, the cringeworthy way she flinched from his embrace when they first met should have disabused them. Of that hope. In fact, Obama's failure to shun Su Chi ranks right up there with his failure to close Guantanamo Bay, his failure to end unwinnable wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and his failure to oversee Libya's transition to democracy after lording over the assassination of its dictator, Muhammad Gaddafi. And yes. Nobody was more enthusiastic when Obama deserved praise, but nobody was harsher when he deserved criticism. As of this recording today, March 11, Myanmar's generals seem even more hell-bent on filing trumped-up charges to keep Suu Kyi in prison than Russia's strongman Vladimir Putin seems on doing to keep opposition leader Alexei Navalny in the gulag. The BBC describes their latest charge of taking over a half a million dollars in bribes as the strongest and therefore most ominous yet. Uh, But it's a testament to her fall from grace that Navalny is becoming the core celebra she once was. Indeed, Su Chi would be lucky if three months from now anyone in the Western even remembers she's in jail, where the generals clearly hope she rots away in obscurity. In the meantime, as you watch events play out in Myanmar, consider this karmic symmetry many of those now shouting at the military to give them liberty or give them death, were silent not so long ago, when the military was ethnically cleansing Rohingyas. But such silence, in the face of crimes against humanity, is precisely what Pastor Martin Niemöller famously admonished against. Because your silence means that it's only a matter of time, before such crimes are visited upon you. Uh, That's it, and if you liked it, please subscribe, it's free. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.